thanks Daniel and thank you Jeff for reminding us that we are a church on mission. Good morning, welcome. It's great to see you all here this morning for sure. Uh, we've got a couple things. Uh, first of all, we're going to be in Hebrews 9 this morning as we continue the Hebrews series. We'll talk more about that in just a minute, but give you a chance to go ahead and turn to Hebrews 9 in your Bible. Um, if you don't have one, we put black hardback Bibles under the seats around you. Those are there for you. Feel free to grab one. Uh, and so while you're turning there, just a couple things. One, um, our kids are back from kids camp, had a fantastic week. Uh, we sent 18 kids um, to kids camp along with six of our very own adult volunteers who we are so thankful for. And I uh, just want to give you a report on there. Of, of those 18 kids who went, at least one has given uh, their life to follow Jesus. And, uh, and two are ready to follow Jesus in baptism. So we're already beginning to see fruit come in from kids camp, just like we did with youth camp. And uh, we're grateful for that. Uh, just want to say a, a big thank you overall uh, to our volunteers. Um, we, we do a breakfast a couple times a year to say thank you. Some of you are in the service because you were in the breakfast at the breakfast. And, uh, and so if you missed it, though, just want you to know we're equally grateful. Um, this is a church that relies heavily on volunteers. Um, and primarily because of the way the scripture instructs us. Um, as a church to operate, that every believer has been given a gift to serve in the kingdom and serve in the church. And so um, for that reason, we are, we are a church that is uh, heavy on volunteerism. And so we just want to stop and say thank you. Thank you for the way you serve Jesus so humbly, consistently. Not everybody knows that uh, before the sun comes up on Sunday mornings, volunteers are on the ground getting this building ready, getting words ready, getting the band's uh, practice things ready, getting the kids' building ready. And so, um, man, you guys, you guys go hard, you go long for the sake of Jesus, and so thank you for that. Um, and uh, so now what we want to do is we want to we pick up our Hebrew series, and the, uh, the subtitle for the series is Jesus is Better. It's a significant theme in the book of Hebrews. After today, we'll have three more um, Sundays in Hebrews, and then this first Sunday in September, we'll start Revelation. But we're, we're noticing chapter by chapter this theme, Jesus is better, he's better than Better than the angels, better than anything in creation, better than the priests of the Old Testament, better than the Old Covenant, better than the, the promises of the Old Testament. Jesus is far more superior. He is better. And our hope is not just that we would understand the book of Hebrews, but that that would become the banner and the anthem of, of each of our lives, that Jesus is better. That by the way we conduct ourselves, the, way, the things we find value in, the things that capture our hearts, that the banner over each of our lives would be that Jesus is better. He's better than what I find here on earth. He's better than even good things I find here on earth, like my marriage and my relationship with my children, my relationship with my friends, that ultimately Jesus is better than all these things. You think about the Christians who are being persecuted, and we wonder, why would you put yourself in that position, especially Americans who, who pull up the roots from here and head to a foreign country to be persecuted? Why would you do that? And the resounding answer is because that individual has found that Jesus is better. That's why. And so that's the theme coming out of the book of Hebrews, and we're going to see this morning how Jesus is a better sacrifice than anything that we can offer with our lives. And so we talk often here about um, the, the folly of, of, of finding our identity in our own performance, which is, which is very much an American theme, to find your identity in your performance, how well you perform. We learn it at a very young age with, right, with bringing home our report cards and, 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 and getting the, the stickers that say, my student is a straight-A student at such-and-such such school, and then we get into athletics, and, and everything is based on performance. And so, while hard work has value, scriptures won't deny that, right? Pursuing goals has value. When we find our identity in these things, we're operating counterintuitively to the gospel itself. 
The gospel that says, don't find your identity in your own performance. Find your identity in something better. And so it's interesting when you look at the trap of being uh, performance-based, I think any of us for a moment can muster up enough strength and energy to perform well, whether it's on a test or in a, in a game or in a special you know, a meeting at work. or you know, Most of us, we can focus, we can zero in for a moment, and we can perform really well. The problem is maintaining it. That's where the trap comes in. Right, That one moment where we receive the accolade, the achievement, we find something we're good at, and, and, and people notice, they take note, and they, they high-five us and say, you're really good at such and such. Now, that feels good for the moment, but the trap is what? Having to maintain that. And we see it in pop culture with those who rise to the top. Right? Who's the boy band of the, of the, of the decade right now, or really of, of the month? Right Here today, gone tomorrow. Why? Because it's easy to, easier to rise to the top. It's hard to, to maintain it. I was thinking about that with Justin Bieber. How did he stay at the top? I mean, that guy is still killing it at the top of the charts, right? Because most artists like him who get popular quick and rise to the top fizzle out quick, right, and are gone tomorrow. And, and that's true in each of our lives. Every person here has an area of life that you're really good at. It might be cooking. It might be the way you love. It might be the way you care for children. It might be the way you teach the way you do your job or there's something you're good at but when you find your identity in that you find yourself you find yourself in a relentless trap and I was thinking about it this week the thing that that really makes this difficult is we're hardwired we're hardwired to listen for a voice outside of ourselves that says you are accepted I approve of you you're secure each of us is hardwired to listen for that voice. So here's the, here's the problem. The God of the universe who created you wired you that way that you might listen for his voice. And see, here's the problem is as we listen for that voice that says, you're accepted, I approve of you. Right? We find that, that that void is being filled by all kinds of voices. Each one of us, right? Young ladies who... Grew up in a home that, where a father was present. I know that's becoming more and more rare, right? When you came, came into the room dressed for prom or you got dressed up for your wedding, it was, right, you, you hear compliments from tons of people, but the voice of your earthly father was the one that you wanted, right? You're hardwired to listen for the voice that matters. What happens is we, we tend to open up our ears and listen to small voices, the voices of our culture. Right, ladies? The voice that says, if you want to be accepted and adored and pretty, you need to look like this. Men, the voices that would say, if you want to be masculine, you want to be respected, you need to, you need to look and act like this. These small voices of our culture begin to drown out the voice of our Heavenly Father. I think this is similar to what Paul is talking about as he opens up the book of Romans. In, in uh, Romans 1, he says, therefore, this is verse 24, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged, exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. I think that each one of us struggles with that exchange. Exchanging the, the image of an immortal God, the God who reigns over the universe, the God whose voice matters, and we exchange that voice for small voices here on earth. And then we try to find our identity in those things. 
Galatians 4, Paul is warning the church, a group of people who've received the gospel, and he warns them not to go back to those small voices. Look at what he says in Galatians 4, verse 8 and 9. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those who, by nature, are not gods. Enslaved. You're trapped. Verse 9, but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Now, for those who aren't Christians, I, I get it. Every day your life is filled with voices, voices on Facebook, voices on Instagram and Snapchats and the latest news headlines and pop culture and, and all the things going on, and I get it. But for those who are in Christ, whose souls have been awakened to recognize the voice of the creator of the universe, why in the world will we go back? So this is what's going to get us ready for where we're going now in Hebrews. We're going to pick up in Hebrews 9, 11, looking at the sacrifice of Jesus that is better than any sacrifice found here on earth. Verse 11, Hebrews 9. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with human hands, that is, not of this creation. And so God recognized in sending Christ that we needed something that we couldn't make with our own hands. Specifically here, the, the tent of meeting is, is mentioned, or the temple, Right? The icon of God's presence and, 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 and the, the religion of the day. And God is saying, what you build with your own hands isn't enough. The temple, right? The way that you program your worship, the way that you program your morality, the things you do with your own strength are not enough. They are not enough. Verse 12. He, being Jesus, entered once for all into the holy places. Now that theme is going to trickle through everything we read today. Once for all. Daniel prayed that. Thanking Jesus for being that once for all sacrifice. And my hope today is that we're able to see how that truth transcends into everyday life. Where I find my identity. My job. My my, my children, my spouse, my friendships, even my church involvement, how that sacrifice once for all transcends into every other area of my life. Once, what does it mean once? Well, first of all, it doesn't have to be continued. It's going to come up again in this chapter. Christ doesn't have to keep going to the cross for me, does he? What he did was good enough to do once. Who among us can do that, right? Perform well once, and that lasts. See, we are stuck in this trap of what? Having to try harder and try harder and work harder. It's true in our careers. It's true in our pursuit of holiness and godliness and morality, right? For a moment, I can muster up enough strength to, to fool you into thinking I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a faithful husband, faithful father, a highly moral person. But come spend time with me throughout the week, and you're going to begin to see the flaws that are still there that haven't yet to be conformed to the image of Jesus. He's working on me, right? But I'm not there yet. And so this once is incredibly important for me 
to know that once was enough. Once for all. Now, the for all is a big for all. In the Old Testament, we see God's movement in among the people of Israel, but even then promising Israel, the reason I've appointed you, the reason I've called you, is that I might bless the, 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 the nations. Right? This is what the mission team is calling us to pray for today, that the persecuted church in the nations, the for all. So we know that for all is big. It includes all ethnicities, all people groups, all nationalities, all languages, all colors of skin. But that for all also means all who have sinned and fall short of the glory. It's not just church folk that Jesus died for. And I love how we read these beautiful images of, 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 of description as Jesus walks among the sinners and he, he dines with the tax collectors and he's, he's known to hang out with the drunkards. And, and then he, he shares this story about the kingdom of heaven is like the king who has a feast and he invites the haves, the ones who are the, not- the known people of the community, and nobody shows up. So then he sends the invitation out to the slums, to the ghetto, to the have-nots, to the are-nots, and, and says, those people will show up. You know what Jesus is saying? That's, that's you guys, church. You guys are from the moral, the moral ghetto. You guys are from the other side of the tracks. The ones who, right, can't get it on your own, can't perform on your own, can't create your own way through this world. That's who I've come to save. That's us. The messed up, the brokenhearted. That's a big for all, right? Once for all. Now, the rest of verse 12 says this, not by means of the blood of goats and calves. So, speaking about our earthly performance, the priest going in, butchering animals, sprinkling the blood, the things that you can do, the things that I can do, not by those means, but by means of his own blood. Right? So our security is based on his performance. Our security is based on his sacrifice, thus securing an eternal redemption. This is huge. The difference between momentary and the eternal. This is coming out all throughout the book of Hebrews. For a moment, you and I can get our act together. Right? For a moment, we can feel better about ourselves. But none of us can secure eternal Identity, an eternal sense of measuring up. And, and to be honest, my best performance still falls short, right? I mean, my best performance, according to the Old Testament, is like a filthy rag before Jesus. So even when I think I'm getting it right, I'm still getting it wrong. And so I need an eternal redemption. I don't need to, need to be fixed for today. I don't need to just feel better about myself today, Right? I don't need to just get inspired enough to pull myself up by my own bootstraps and go out here to the day to, this week determined to finally get it right. As soon as I do that, I'm back in the trap. I need an eternal redemption. I need to wake up to the mercies of God new and fresh every morning. Verse 23, we're going to jump down to 923. Now, we're going to begin to get this wording that if you're not familiar with how the Old Testament's laid out, it might confuse you for a minute, so I'll give you some help. But let's read verse 23 first. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So I'm going to explain the word copies because that's kind of a strange word to read in the Bible, right? 
So in the Old Testament and all throughout your Bible, you have what's called typology, where you have small things that reflect a greater truth or reality. Okay, so you see as the Bible unfolds, these stories, these narratives, these interactions between God and his people, what you're seeing here on the ground is a reflection of something, some greater or truer reality. It's copies here on earth. Some other ways that this word gets used just to kind of help you kind of understand what, what the Bible's doing here. There's a word that gets translated type or typology in your New Testament. It also gets translated mark, like a, an outer mark. Matter of fact, in John 20, the word is used to describe the marks on Jesus' hands after the resurrection, these, these reflections of something that happened. But a way that it often gets translated is image. So you think about an image on a coin. You remember Jesus was talking about paying taxes or paying the tithe, and he said, well, whose face is on the coin? What he was talking about is an image of something. So we have images on our currency, right? Nobody pulls out a a quarter and looks at the person right there and thinks that's really the person. That's just an image, right? It's a copy of the greater true reality, that person. So that's the way this word gets used in, in your Bible, saying that a lot of things that happen here on the ground are, are images of something greater. Uh, another word that gets translated is pattern. So in Acts 7, um, talking about Moses up on the mountain, he saw the true reality, then came down from the mountain on the ground and put into place what he, what he saw after the pattern. So as they set up the temple, they set up a worship. It was after the pattern of what he saw up on the mountain. Adam is called a type in Romans 5, and, and, and he's compared to Jesus, that through one man, Adam, sin came into the world, but through one man, Jesus... Grace, mercy, and forgiveness and salvation came into the world. So Adam was a type or a copy or a pattern of the one to come. The word also gets used in example, as the word example, especially for young believers. But Timothy is told in 1 Timothy 4, 12, some of you know this verse, do not let anybody look down on you because you're young, but set an example. That's the same word. So that in us, you might begin to see a reflection of something better, something greater. It's used as model in Titus 2, modeling good works. And so here's what we're at, here we're at in Hebrews, talking about the things of the Old Testament. These things were copies or patterns or shadows, reflections of something that was greater to come. And ultimately, our best efforts here on earth are pale reflections of something better. So as the priest went in, year after year offering that blood sacrifice... It was a copy. It was a pattern of something that was to come. So now in Hebrews 9, 24, back to Jesus. For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands. Talking about the temple here on earth. We know what Jesus did in the temple here on earth, right? He flipped the tables and chased everybody out. We're talking about a better temple, a, a, a more real temple into the holy places not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself. He went into the real holy of holies. Now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. It's so important. On our behalf. Verse 25. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. Now, so we're, we're clear not to trust in things that we can do with our own hands, right? We're, we're clear. We don't need to be trusting in our own performance, 
our own morality, our own ability to appease God or impress God or earn God's favor. There's no way to get into heaven based on what we can do with these. Matter of fact, if you look at the testimonies of our lives, you're going to see quite the opposite, aren't you? You're going to see all the reasons why we don't deserve to go to heaven, why we don't deserve the favor of God. We leave our ugly fingerprints all over this world, right, over and over and over again saying what? We need a better sacrifice. We need something better than what we can accomplish on our own. And so here's the thing, Christians, specifically. Why are we prone to go back and trust in the small gods of this world? Why are we so driven by the voices of this culture to the point where we see ourselves the way the world sees us? Ladies, it breaks my heart. I, I couldn't imagine having young girls growing up in this culture. I'm so thankful um, for the young ladies in our church who are hearing a better voice. But think about it. The voice that your young ladies are hearing in this culture, that their value and worth is found in matching the image on the front of a magazine. And every time you walk your little girls through the grocery store and cash out, they're seeing the images. Right? They're thinking, if I'm going to have value, if I'm going to have notoriety, if people are going to recognize me, i got to look like her. Right? And they have no idea how Photoshop works. Right? They have no idea about eating disorders and, and all the calamity that follows pursuing a false god. And, and, and even among right, the ladies here in our church every morning, right? If you've, like, be, be, like, you're beautiful. Be, be beautiful. Don't find your identity, right, in comparing your face in the mirror to the face on the magazine, ladies. I mean, wear makeup. Just don't find your security in those things. Dress up. Clean it up. You're beautiful, right? But don't find your identity in what the world says about your beauty. Find your identity in what God says. He says, you're my daughter. Every morning you wake up should be like coming downstairs dressed for the prom, and your father says, wow, sweetheart, you are beautiful. You're beautiful because you're mine. See, we're so prone to go back to listening to the voices of these small gods. Guys, come on. Masculinity, true masculinity, is defined by Jesus. Not the latest hero in a movie. Man, I'm a sucker for a hero movie, but I'm not careful. I'll, as the credits are rolling, think about how I need to reinvent myself to be more like William Wallace, right? People are going to respect me. I've got to be like that. Listen, come on. And, right? And so our culture will put these men up in front of us saying, man, you want to be respected? You want to make it to the top? Be like these men. Don't care what people think about you. Run over people. Say what you want with no regard to the feelings of the people around you. Don't be sensitive. You'll never make it in this world if you're sensitive. Be tough. Be hard. Men don't cry. Bull. You read the gospel again. If Jesus can cry, I can too. Get to be a small part of a wedding in here last night, and, and that, that moment where the bride steps into the room. There's something, that's a copy of something glorious, isn't it? That's a reflection of something eternal that's actually going to happen one day. I mean, last night, at, um, Elizabeth Casey and Rich Brownell, members here, uh, got married here in this very room. And when she stepped into the room, boy, my eyes welled up with tears. And I thought, man, this is not fair that I'm going to have to be the first person to talk after she walked in this room. But, right? 
there is a version of crying that is masculine. See, if we listen to the voice of our culture, these small gods, we're going to get sucked into this trap. And Jesus says, I alone define what masculinity is. You want to be masculine? Look at me. He wasn't a wimp. I'd say this too. If, if, if you want a good litmus test for where you're still listening to the voices of small gods in your life, and I'm going to say this very gently, but I think it's true, look for your insecurities. I think that's what insecurities are. Those are those places in our life where we're building our security on the voices of small gods. If it's your looks, your insecurities are there, the potential is you're trying to find too much of your identity in what the world says about the way you look. If it's in your job or your career and, and you don't feel like you've got anything to talk about and so you always avoid the where do you, what do you do for a living conversation. Like if your insecurity is there, I think it's revealing something about a small God who's speaking into your life. And so look for your insecurities and there you'll find those small voices that are attempting to enslave you, ensnare you, and trap you. Parenting. This is a big one, isn't it? I mean, it's bad enough we're trying to live up to the expectations of the world. Then we're supposed to put that pressure on our kids. And so many times we're tempted to parent out of embarrassment. Right? That's a, that's a false motive. It leads to anger and frustration. We raise our voices. and we're, we're trying to keep up with what we see on Facebook and everybody else's lives. And all this pressure is mounting. Right? And so we, what do we do? We take that pressure and we impute it on our children and they grow up feeling our pressure when we listen to the voices of small God's parents. We teach our children to do the same. Verse 26, Hebrews 9. For then he, talking about Jesus, would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. Here's the rest of that. If we're going to trust in the things we can build with our own hands, we can accomplish with our own hands, then Jesus would have to have suffered repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But he didn't. He's not going to. Matter of fact, we're going to read a verse in the minute. It says, he's not going back to the cross. He's done. His work there is done. It was enough. If you're trusting in the work of your own strength, get ready. It's a vicious cycle over and over and over and over again. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, there's the for all, will appear a second time. This time he won't come for the cross, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him, who are finding their security in him, who are finding their identity in his performance on their behalf. He's coming back to gather them to himself. He's not coming back to gather those who have proven themselves worthy. It's the point of dying. We're not worthy. Chapter 10, verse 1. Speaking of the Old Testament, for since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, 
Your efforts can never, look at what it says about our efforts, can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. It won't work. Verse 2, otherwise they, otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any conscience of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The performance of man will never work, never be enough. Now I want you to see something in verse in verses 5 through 14. So since that's true, Jesus' sacrifice for our sins is once and for all, and it's enough. There's something else about Jesus that he's done on our behalf that is enough as well. And this is where we'll get into it, in starting in verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, quoting Psalm 40, by the way, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. All the way back in the Psalms, we're getting this, this indication, this warning that the bulls and the goats and the burnt offerings, they're not enough. They're not pleasing to the Lord. Psalm 51, King David, what does he say in his prayer of repentance? The sacrifices aren't enough. Rob would have kept bringing them to you. But it's a broken and a contrite heart that you're after, God. And so Jesus has come not only to be the sacrifice, but look here. Verse A, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are all offered according to the law. Verse 9, then he added something. And this is what I want you to see today. He added something. What did he add? Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So now we're not only talking about salvation, we're talking about spiritual journey afterwards. So we, we see at the cross, that's enough to cover for our sins. But here's what we also see. In Jesus' perfect obedience from beginning to end, his whole life, his whole righteous life, he's performing for you and I. So in those moments when the Father says to Jesus, go here, and he does, he's performing for those moments where you and I hear from God, go, and we don't. When he hears from the Father, go to the least of these. Go dine with the have-nots and the are-nots and the sinners and, and, and put your reputation on the line to reach them. He's performing perfectly for those moments where God says to you and I, through compassion, go be, go be my love. Go be my representative, the least of these. And then we don't. And then that transcends to every area of your life. God is the perfect father. And the righteousness of God has been imputed to us, parents. In those moments where we're not performing at our best, right? Here's, where the, here's the game changer. If we're finding our identity and how well we are performing, we're in the trap. But in those moments, through humility, we reach up to the hand of the Father and say, I'm so glad that you're a perfect parent because right now I am not. And I need your strength. I need your guidance. I need you. First, forgive me for my messing it up. But now come and make this better. Every area of your life, Jesus has performed on your behalf. Every area. My prayer every Sunday, I've shared this with you, is I'm praying over here is Jesus preach a better sermon than I can preach. Every area of our life. 
He has performed and obeyed the will of the Father perfectly on our behalf. And so through trusting in him, he imputes all that righteousness on us. When you step into heaven, it will be just as if you obeyed perfectly. Can you imagine that? So you have to walk into the presence of God with your head down, dragging your feet, thinking about all the things that you... Right, that disqualify you from being there. In that moment, if you truly believe in Jesus, you are made perfect and righteous, and you walk in, as Hebrews says, with confidence to the throne room of grace. Not because you're trusting in yourself. Not because you're trusting in your church attendance, how much money you gave. But you're trusting in the work that Jesus and Jesus alone did on your behalf. And Jesus says, if you're trusting in that, you better walk into the presence of God confidently because it was enough. Verse 11, every high priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Verse 13, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Verse 14, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That's awesome. And so when I read things like this, and then I ask the question, well, is there any room for me to get involved? Do I just sit back and recline and let Jesus do all the work? Or where does my effort come in? I love the way the author of Hebrews takes us into that, the answer to that question. Verse 15, and the Holy Spirit. Believers in Jesus, you not only have your eternity secured, your forgiveness is extended once and for all, but now the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you, empowering, convicting, guiding, directing. So now you can pursue godliness, not in an effort to impress God, but because God's Spirit lives in you. right? Not in an effort to earn your way into heaven, but what? To participate in what God is doing in you. He's conforming you into the image of Jesus, and he's put his Spirit in you to guide you, to compel you. When you mess up, to take you back to the grace and mercy that we find in the gospel. That's God's spirit doing that. So that we don't, what, slip back into the trap, back into the old pattern of listening to the small voices. The Holy Spirit of God is speaking in you, saying, quit listening to them. Yes, you messed up. Own it. Repent. And my my mercies will be new in that moment. And keep coming. Keep coming. I see you've fallen down. You're on your knees. You've messed up big time. Don't slip into the pity party. Don't slip into the voices of The culture, get back up and keep coming. Get back up and keep coming. That's sanctification. The Holy Spirit of God dwells in us now. Bearing witness to us, for after saying, verse 16, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. For where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. You see the connection? Not just our salvation, but our sanctification is all rooted in the performance of Jesus on our behalf. So if you find yourself as a believer slipping into one of those traps, giving into insecurities, giving into guilt or shame, in that moment, in that moment, you're drifting away from the gospel. The truth of the gospel says you're forgiven, you're accepted, you're secure. The truth of the gospel says there's one voice that matters. In your life. There's one voice, ladies. 
that you need to be listening for, and it's not your husband. He's a chump. Trust me, I am one. I am one. Don't find your security in what your husband says about you. Even on the days where he's getting it right, listen for a better voice. Men, I know the people that you work with have loud voices in your life. I know it. And we are so hardwired to crave the applause and the recognition and the respect of men. But God says, you want to trust on their performance on your behalf or do you want to trust in mine? You want to trust in how they define masculinity? It's one thing today and it's another thing tomorrow? Or do you want to trust in something that isn't going to move or change? Men, God says, look at my character. That's what a man looks like. He's both just and loving. He's firm and he's gentle. He knows when to bow his chest out and stand up for injustice, but he also knows when to be meek and mild and to shed a tear. God says, you want to listen to the voice of your pop culture? You want to listen to me. So what do we mean by Jesus being a better sacrifice? That's what we mean. We mean that his sacrifice has set us free from having to offer sacrifices to make up for our inadequacies or our shortcomings. His performance on our behalf has set us free from the cruel trap of trying to find our identity and security in our own performance. In Christ, we pursue his character in our lives, not because we have to to earn his approval, but because now, since we already have his approval and his spirit already, we do so. That's different, isn't it? Working hard to impress God to earn his favor is different from working hard and pursuing godliness because you already have it. This is what God says to you, and pursue the character of my son Jesus, not to impress me, but because I've already given everything that you need. Do it because I'm going to help you get there. This is what I'm doing in you. I'm conforming you into his image. Come join me in what I'm doing in your life. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to the word that I've written on your heart. Open the word. Come join me in what I'm doing in you. That's what sanctification is. I want to end here um, by praying for us this morning. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. And, uh, and so uh, I want to presume nothing. I see a lot of familiar faces. I know a lot of folks here who are following Jesus and, and probably on some level um, being tempted to, to buy into that trap. Maybe even this morning when you got up and looked in the mirror, you were tempted to listen to the voices of the culture over the voice of your Heavenly Father. And so this morning would be maybe a time of recalibration, God. Let me, before I leave this place, just let me fresh and new hear your voice so that I go into this week listening for your voice and not the voices of our culture. Um, but if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I want you to know that the God of the universe has set a table before you and he's extended an invitation. And here's the thing you need to hear today. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a once and for all invitation. And I'm sorry for the confusing message sometimes we kick out as a church that in order to make God happy, you got to wear the right clothes or listen to the right radio station or go to the right church. Like, that's not the gospel. The gospel says Jesus has done enough for you. Come to the table and dine. And, and the person who says, I am the least worthy, Jesus says, man, I died for you. You're the one I'm inviting to the table. And so if that's you today and you're not a Christian and you, wanna, you want to find out what it means to have a relationship with the God of the universe, I want you to know it's, it's never going to be based on your performance. It's simply based on faith. And so today you can have that relationship in faith. And so I'm going to pray for you and, and for us today. And then in our last few songs, it's a time to respond. As always, um, if you 
feel compelled and you want to come kneel and pray, you're welcome to do that. Our prayer partners, as always, will be back here in the back, um, have lanyards on. They're ready, willing, and just eager to pray with you about whatever God's speaking to your heart. So um, you know, if God prompts you to go, please do. Um, here's what I would say. If you make a decision to follow Jesus today, will you let somebody know? Let me know. Let a prayer partner know. Let a friend who invited you know. Let somebody know what God's doing in your life so we can encourage you and pray for you. So Jason, worship team, if you guys want to come up, I want to pray over us and we'll respond. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this beautiful reminder of grace and mercy this morning. God, thank you for reminding us of this beautiful invitation in the gospel. And God, we, we want to be honest this morning. We want to be transparent. We are so prone to wander away from the truth of the gospel. And even though, Jesus, your, your sacrifice is enough and your love is sweet, we are prone to wander back into areas of our life trusting in our own strength. So this morning, we want to freshly come before your presence and lay down those false gods, those small gods, those small voices. We want to hear fresh. We want to hear the voice of our Heavenly Father this morning. I pray you'd recalibrate our hearts and our ears. Tune us in, God, that we might recognize your voice. And as we leave out of here this week, make it our ambition to listen for your voice above any other. Pray for anybody here who doesn't know you, God, that today would be the day of salvation, that they would come by faith, either where they're seated, just pray and cry out to you, or go visit with a prayer partner. But either way, that today would be the day that they would trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for purpose and meaning and identity and salvation and love and acceptance and all the things that come with it. So Lord Jesus, have your way as we respond now, we pray in your precious name.